Hi, welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm an economist and a writer and the mother of two girls. Lots of different inputs go into the project of starting a family. For many of us, this includes a host of doctors, fertility doctors and OBs and anesthesiologists. And for today's guest, that list is even longer, extended to include pain doctors and ER doctors and neurologists because she had a stroke after her delivery. Some of the doctors who participated in her project did so because the symptoms she suffered after the delivery were attributed to a spinal headache instead of a stroke. Hers is a story of amazing amounts of resilience and an inspiring amount of overcoming. And it's also one that highlights some of the glaring holes in the medical system. After our conversation, I spoke with an assistant professor of neurology to walk us through some of the medical things that come up. Let's get to the story. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Could you tell us your name and where you're from? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Lauren Burke, and I am from Chicago, Illinois. That's fun. I, so I lived there for many years. Where do, where do you live in Chicago? I've been a Northsider for quite a while. Oh, nice. So let's talk about pregnancy. Before you got pregnant, I'm wondering, what did you imagine pregnancy would be like? So here's something kind of weird. I was not going to have kids, I had decided. So I was sort of like, you know what? I don't know if this is going to be the right track for me. And that's partially because I had had so many friends who just had terrible experiences. And then also I live in the city. I'm a writer, money, just like that yeah, whole yeah. <laughs> that whole situation. So I was like, you know what? I don't think that that is going to be the right scene for me. I was terrified of childbirth as well, completely terrified of it. I think this was like my late 20s. I had done this thing where I was like, you know what? I need to get in better shape. And I have this like cystic acne that keeps recurring and I keep trying everything. And let me like just really work out really hard. And let me go to the dermatologist and get all of these things under control before I'm 30. This was like my goal. I was like, I have all these goals before 30. So I went to the dermatologist and she was like, okay, um, actually, let's put you on Yaz, and that will what, clean up your skin. What's that? So Yaz is a birth control. Okay. Because she was like, you know, the reason why nothing's been working for you is because it's hormonal. So okay. let's get you on birth control. And then exactly six weeks later at my follow-up appointment, that day I was feeling really weird. I was like out of breath. I was really dizzy. My friend actually offered me a ride, like out of nowhere, just offered me a ride to the doctor's office because she was like, you, you seemed kind of weird last night. So do you need a ride? And I was like, yes, please. So we go to the doctor's office and she's like, well, your skin looks great, but something's going on with you. And she sent me to the ER and I was having a pulmonary embolism, essentially. Oh, my so God. These blood clots everywhere is <laughs> basically how the nurse came back. And she was like, yeah, they're in your legs. They're in your lungs. They're all over. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I was hospitalized. I brought this question about the link between birth control and blood clots to a neurologist. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Nicole Sir on the show. She's an assistant professor of clinical neurology from the Miller School of Medicine at the University of Miami. Dr. Sir, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Why does birth control create the risk for blood clots? So the risk there is really due to the to the hormones, mostly estrogen. So birth control um, are basically hormonal pills, and there are estrogen, 
only birth control. There's estrogen and progesterone, which is another hormone birth control. And the risk mostly comes from the actual estrogen because estrogen increases the concentration of clotting factors in the blood. When there's increased concentration of clotting factors, the blood can be more prone to clotting. So estrogen is sending signals to your bone marrow to make more clotting factors? That's correct. That's kind of the pathophysiology. One other thing I wanted to add here is that according to WebMD, blood clots are rare even with birth control. The rate is something like a 0.3 to 1% over 10 years. You're at a higher risk for blood clots with pregnancy than you are with birth control. And that's again because of hormonal shifts. You know, I also had a pleurisy, I believe it's called. So I had this irritation in my lungs and it was very painful. And there was like 12 hours of just pain and it was really bad. And that sounds like a 17th century problem. Yes, it does. Yeah, (laughs) it's so weird. And I was at Northwestern. So I had all these residents that kept coming in because they were like, oh, this is this is interesting. We don't see this every day. And after 12 hours of that, I like turned to my husband and I was like, you know what? I think I can give birth because like that was awful. I survived it. And I just like had this weird change of heart in the hospital. I was like, you know what? I think I want to be a mother. I want to take a kid to Disneyland. I don't know what it is. (laughs) And he was like, okay, well, let's give this a couple of years and figure this all out. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, that's when I started sort of maybe reading up a little bit more on pregnancy. And then I, I saw a ton of doctors because obviously I just had this PE And we needed to see if I had some sort of blood clotting condition or if it was just provoked by Yaz um, and then what we needed to do. So then, yeah. So then I went on sort of like a fertility journey, which was a fun time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this will be, this will be interesting if you actually did have to go through the fertility gauntlet because I too went through the fertility gauntlet at Northwestern. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, we've probably crossed paths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because that was a couple of years of going to various doctors, lots of blood tests. I did find an OB that re- that specialized in this. And he was very much of the mind that it was provoked and that I could have a normal pregnancy. We would probably put me on a low dose blood thinner. And he said, like, no epidural. So that was kind of my plan. Wow. And then I had sort of a journey getting pregnant because it was not happening. It was just not happening right away. Yep. Yep. And then I had um, some miscarriages as well, which then kind of triggered the doctors because they're like, well, maybe she does have a blood clotting issue. Maybe this is related. They really wanted to kind of tie it back to that PE. So there was a couple of years of just trying to figure out why I couldn't carry on a pregnancy, what was going on. Let, let's go off. a little slower here for one second. So the first positive pregnancy test, mm-hmm. we're pretty excited, right? My my first mm-hmm. one ended in, in a miscarriage also, I guess. Mm. People say, oh, you're not supposed to say, like, at least you can get pregnant, but I've been trying for a year and a half. Right. So for me to get, it was actually a big deal to get pregnant at all. Up until then, there was no evidence that I could. Yeah. Did you have that feeling as well? Or were you, was it still oh. just... Totally. Very excited. Yeah. It was really just like, yes, this is this is it. At that point, too, we had just purchased our house. And I just really felt like the timing was right. I felt yeah. like I was in a good place with work. Like, it just felt like the stars were aligning, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Super happy about it. And I think, and I lost that baby. I think I was, I mean, it was like 13 weeks. Oh, that's late. So, 
it was late. It was late. And it sucked because I did definitely tell. I told my mother, of course, first, just like a weekend. And it was very much like, don't tell anyone. (laughs) So that's a weird cultural thing, right? I talked to a therapist who wrote her dissertation on the idea that we all, I mean, I feel like my doctors told me don't tell anyone until after the first trimester is over. Oh, for sure. But the therapist was like, that's nuts because you're going to need support. And like at 11 weeks, I was like, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is totally, totally fine. Totally. So my family was like super excited. I had not told work yet. That was the only thing I was really nervous about because I was nervous about what are the what are the repercussions of this? Honestly, yeah. like yeah. what projects will I have taken away from me? Yeah. Was totally. really the thought. But that kind of sucked because then I had my miscarriage and I had it. On my birthday, too, which which is insane. <laughs> the gods have their backs turned. That's not fair. It That's was not crazy. Cool. Not cool. Then I just kind of like politely ducked out of work. And I think everyone thought I just was going to celebrate an early birthday. And no one had no idea what was going on. And then I just didn't want to tell them. And it just was kind of a whole awful, awkward situation. Yeah. And I was like, I need a few days off. It's personal. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. 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 Did you have support when that happened? Yeah. And I think I'm the kind of person to like, I want, I want to take care of everything. (laughs) So I think with that miscarriage, I kind of almost just powered through. My friends were great. My family, they were great. My husband was great, but I kind of was just like, well, we're just going to carry on. We're going to soldier through. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I was almost feeling, part of me was feeling almost a little positive because I was like, well, I know I can get pregnant. Okay. So that's a good thing. (laughs) So we know that, but what's going on? You know, I can't carry on this pregnancy. So yeah. But then I, I got pregnant again, probably two or three months after that. That's awesome. That was great. Yeah. And that, that was Audrey. So that is, yeah, my daughter. So. Oh, wow. Good. Okay. That worked. (laughs) And so are you, again, are you nervous for the first trimester or do you handle it differently? Totally. Totally. Like won't tell a soul. Completely terrified. Yeah. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I remember my husband's a marathon runner. Oh, wow. And so I found out the day of the Chicago marathon. Oh, wow. I woke up and was nauseous and felt like I had the flu and it was like the first marathon I'd missed like (laughs) in 10 11 years I was like I can't believe I can't make it to your marathon today and it ended up being like his best time ever and then he came back and I was like I have not taken a pregnancy test but I know that I'm pregnant this is not the flu and he was like okay so let's (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're just going to keep this one under wraps. But I went to the doctor immediately because of the the blood clotting issue. We knew that we had to we had to do a scan and we had to make sure that the, you know, everything looked good because they were going to start me on um, a blood thinner pretty quickly. That was and that was I think yeah, maybe just a couple weeks after that and then I was doing heparin shots twice daily. Wow. So that sounds like they determined you did have a blood clotting issue. This has been back and forth. This is the great mystery of me. <laughs> Someday someone will figure it out. But they were ruling that they didn't think there was a blood clotting issue, 
but in case there was okay we're just gonna do it to be safe and and for some reason because of this blood clotting issue you can't have an epidural because your blood will pool while you're laying there or yeah so gosh how did he describe it so i will say this doctor who was like don't do the epidural didn't give me a ton of details he was very much like and i remember him being very flippant about it he was like don't do it they don't really work anyway they're just great for the hospital surveys it was something along those lines it was very flippant he's like don't do it it's gonna mess everything up just if as long as you don't do the epidural you're fine and then he had referred me to an ob who was a woman who's great, who's still my OB. And I said, what do you think about this? And she's like, actually, no, I've had women that have come in with the same thing. And her thought really was that, you know, Yaz provoked the blood clots. And she's like, well, honestly, we're just doing this to be safe. I think you can still have the epidural. You're going to be on heparin at that point in your pregnancy. And at that point, we will just time it out. We'll try to time it out. So like you're in between shots. Okay. To give you that epidural. When you get close, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So quick question, Dr. Sir. Why are we concerned with the epidural if Lauren's on heparin? It sounds like the issue there may have been because of the treatment. The way you treat blood clots circulating in the blood, especially if they're enough to cause PE or pulmonary embolism, so a blood clot in the lung. So that's treated with blood thinners or anticoagulation. So now the risk, instead of clotting, the risk is then bleeding. Right. So it's kind of weighing the risk of clotting versus bleeding. So so with an epidural, it's essentially a spinal puncture. It sounds like the concern there is for the risk of bleeding on anticoagulation. Yeah. And then once you cross the first trimester, you're feeling better. How, How do we feel? Feeling great. Was traveling. I had some stuff going on for work. Still not telling anyone. Didn't tell like hardly anyone. I told my best friend who I was traveling with, but didn't really tell a ton of people that I was pregnant until I started showing, honestly. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I was like, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And then how was the rest of the pregnancy? Great. Besides giving myself shots constantly, which was a pain in the butt, especially when I was traveling. Yeah. My pregnancy was fantastic until like the very end when I was just, I was just sore all the time, obviously, like just normal stuff, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It was like very smooth sailing. I think that was one of the things that like maybe threw everyone off later on because everything was so great. Blood pressure, great weight, great, like everything. So how far did you make it? Did you make it to 40 weeks? Yeah. So my daughter's due date was June 11th and she was born on June 8th. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's close. Yeah. Yeah. Really so, close. So take us to the day. Like, how do you know today's the day? What what happens at your house? That day was insane. There was recently an article about this, but I was actually that day on the phone between Northwestern and Blue Cross, who was my insurer, because they were sort of arguing over the payment for a scan that I had when I was pregnant with the the um the child that didn't make it the, yeah. the miscarriage so they were like oh we're billing you full price because <laughs> it ended in a miscarriage and i was like well i was pregnant when i had the scan yeah that that's nuts yeah insurance companies live in their own bizarre world that that could be a podcast itself right it could be it absolutely could be so i was going back and forth and there was things that were coded incorrectly and and i was like can we code it correctly? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do we yeah. do this? 
So it was back and forth with them for a really long time. And at one point I had to leave the video conference and go to the bathroom and I just felt really weird. And I came back to the video conference and I just was like, have you guys worked it out yet? And they were like, we're still talking about the codes and blah, blah, blah. And I sat down and my water just burst. Oh, wow. <laughs> like comedically, like, a, like it was in a movie. And I said, well, I have to go because my water has broken and I'm going to have a baby. So <laughs> I really hope we can work this out at some point. And that was about four o'clock on a, I think that was a Friday. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this baby is coming like at rush hour. Yeah. And it's so Audrey now that I know her. I'm like, yeah, you would do that. <laughs> That's very funny. I hope yeah. you live close to Northwestern at this point. Seven miles. Oh, that's, but yeah, that's not close. In Chicago, yeah, in Chicago yeah. traffic, that is not close. And I was waiting. I waited for my husband to come home. So he got on the Metro and he was home pretty quickly. He was home by five. Then we, right at five, like we get on the highway to go to Northwestern. And we are just sitting in traffic for a while. Yeah. But we got to the hospital around like 6.15-ish. Yeah. I want to say. And everything was calm. Like everything was just chill. It was very fine. It was fine. I was were on the phone. Were you having contractions or no? They were far apart. Okay. But I had called my OB and I was on the phone with her nurse and she was like, well, I want you to come in right away because we need to get blood tests going and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I feel great. I feel fine. I'm just like in the car listening to music. I'm like strolling into the hospital. Everything's fine. <laughs> I think until like 7, 7.30. And that's when the action just like hit me like a train. Uh-oh. That's when they were like, oh, yeah, this birth is happening <laughs> like very quickly. <laughs> so I remember I was in sort of, you know, they bring you in that like first room. I guess it's like the triage like yeah. room at Northwestern. And then it was just chill. And then it was around 7.30. I was, I was like, oh, contractions, big time. Everything's happening. And they're like, okay, let's take you upstairs to the main stage with all the lights. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then contractions were coming very hard and very fast. And they had taken my blood as soon as I got in there because they wanted to know, you know, when was my last heparin shot? Yeah. The blood results were taking forever. <laughs> I think they even took a second set of bloods at one point. And we just weren't getting the results. And so it just felt like it felt like forever. Yeah. Just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I don't know what time it was, but I was just like, can I have an epidural? Because this is happening. I'm going to give birth like soon. And the OB wasn't there yet because they're like, it's first time. Like yeah. we're waiting on bloods. Like just, you know, we're just going to work through the pain. And I was like, no, I think this baby's like coming tonight <laughs> and everyone thought I was crazy but then I remember at one point a resident came in and she was like it's coming fast like this is actually quite fast like wow. we do we actually do need the doctor here very soon so that means you were yeah. pretty dilated I was pretty dilated I think yeah. I was about I was at like maybe eight oh, when wow. the blood results came back finally yeah. then they just ran in the anesthesiologist and at that point I was having some pretty hardcore contractions. That is when I had my epidural, which kind of set off the chain of events that were not so great. So yeah, I mean, that alone is pretty tricky, right? Because you're, yeah. you're supposed to bend over and be still. 
which is yes. not really yes. a thing, right? That's I could not be still at that point. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I remember sitting up on the bed really, it was, it was hard and um, he's doing the epidural and suddenly my right leg just like shot out and I said, starburst. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? Uh oh. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist was not super kind. He came around and he said, well, you should have told me that you had scoliosis. I was like, I don't have scoliosis to my knowledge. And he was like, well, I think you do. And he's like, there's a puncture and you might have a spinal headache or you might not. You might be fine. Who knows? And then he just kind of left. Good Lord. <laughs> and I was like, what happened there? And I felt really strange because obviously the epidural didn't take. I was leaking spinal fluid. Oh, so yeah. So I was dizzy and I was still feeling everything. Yeah. Still just, yeah, I basically just gave natural childbirth. So yeah, I, I remember saying to the nurse, I don't think that worked. And she was like, yeah, what happened there? What was going on? Because he didn't really communicate with anyone else in the room as far as like what had just happened. And so, you know, she had to kind of go after him and was like, what, what's going on? And, you know, we need to talk to the OB who still was not there at that point. Yikes. So it was kind of like just chaos. Yeah. I was in a lot of pain and I know they gave me something, but I'm not sure what it was at one point. And then very soon after, it was just like, it was just time. It was just go time to give birth because it was just happening. Like a, it was just like a freight train. It was crazy. So I gave birth at 2 a.m. So, you know. Wow. So, yeah, it happened. At, it started at like 730 and then at like. That is fast. It That's was 10 fast. hours, right? That's fast. Yeah, it was really, really fast. I remember, too, at one point I looked at the the nurse and I said, how many babies do you think you've delivered? And she was like, oh, I just I couldn't even count. I couldn't even begin to tell you. And I was like, OK, we're going to do this because I've got to push. I've got to do it. And she was like, no, can you wait like 20 minutes? And I was like, I absolutely cannot wait 20 minutes. And she was like, okay. So then we just did it. And I didn't push for very long. I pushed maybe, maybe for an hour. I remember Audrey was actually on her way out. Like she was, it was the last push and the doctor came into the room and she goes, oh, we have a baby. <laughs> I was wow. Like, yes, we do. Yeah. So yeah. So that was, yeah. 2 a.m all good. I felt very dizzy. Yeah. Are, Someone, are we doing anything for the leaking spinal fluid or did they patch you up or something? I think at that point the OB had, did not know or was not briefed just yet as to what was going on. So we were just kind of carrying on as normal pretty much. And then it wasn't until they got me down into the room. I think it was like the head of anesthesiology came in and he was assessing me and he was like, how are you feeling? I heard about what happened, like what's going on. And I was like, I just feel really dizzy. And he's like, okay. He's like, no headache, no, like no stiffness in your neck. No, like, and I was like, no, I mean, I'm just completely out of it. <laughs> I don't know. I've just yeah. had a baby. This might be normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, okay, so we're going to continue to monitor you. And then I kind of knew it was serious, maybe like an hour or two later, because I kept getting visits from like anesthesiologists and I guess like they kept coming in. Yeah. That's unnerving. Yeah. And I was like, oh, something's wrong. Cause I didn't really know 
what a dural puncture was, right? I was like, I don't know what went wrong. Like some spinal fluid leaked. Does that like, I mean, it sounds bad, but yeah, no one's freaking out. So yeah, it seems like this might resolve itself. And also when he left the room, he was so casual, like, well, you might have a headache. So. Okay. So what's a dural puncture and how does it cause a headache? So the way that an epidural is done, they use a spinal needle, so a long needle. And the needle is placed in between the vertebral bodies, which are the, you know, the bones that make up the spine. And in between the vertebral bodies, you have a disc. You pass the needle through this disc and through the the spinal ligaments and into what's called the epidural space. So this is outside of the dura which is the membrane that covers the spinal cord. The idea is to not touch the dura. It's to land the needle just before the dura and allow the medication to pass into the epidural space. The anesthesia numbs the pelvic area so that you don't feel the pain of of the delivery of the labor. It's a very small space. And one of the, the risks is that the needle is passed too far and hits the actual dura. Then you're in the compartment of fluid that bathes the spinal cord and bathes the spinal nerves with a dural puncture. This is commonly done when patients have what's called a lumbar puncture or a spinal tap. So the needle is intentionally passed through the dura to collect the cerebral spinal fluid. Of course, that's not the objective in an epidural anesthetic. The CSF or cerebral spinal fluid leaks and that will change the pressure dynamic around the spinal cord and within the skull. And that can cause a headache, that low pressure. can cause a headache. I was like, okay. I mean, I guess I'll have a headache. (laughs) Spinal fluids is one of those things that sounds like it needs to be on the inside. Yeah. Any on the outside. It seems, it seems like a serious situation, but I just was like, maybe this is okay because everyone's acting very calm about it until they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Until they weren't until about 5.00 AM. Yeah. You're dizzy lying down. Yeah. And I tried, I was trying to explain it at one point, like You know, like an old tube TV, like when it sort of like blinks. Yeah. That was kind of like what my vision was like. Like it was like I couldn't settle, like just kind of I couldn't focus on one thing. It was kind of like I was like blinking out a little bit. So that was and even lying down. So that was what I was experiencing at that moment. I told someone that I was like, I can't really like focus on you. (laughs) Everything's kind of going hazy. I felt like a plane that had been depressurized, I guess, in a way, just sort of like waving in the wind. And it was weird. At that point, they were like, okay, so we're going to try a couple of things. And this was also very complicated because I'm back on heparin now, back on a blood thinner. And they're like, okay, we've got to time out a couple of different treatments for you. So one was a sort of like hormonal therapy that I didn't quite understand to hopefully patch up this leak. And the other was a blood patch, which they would take some of my blood and that they would create a clot and actually patch up the leak. So I said, okay. So we kind of had to time that out between heparin doses. Yeah. So they get me down there and doing a blood patch with residents. My mom worked at a teaching hospital for years. My, My whole family is like in the medical profession, like love teaching hospitals. But here's where one of the, the issues I had was like, I think we need to get someone really experienced in here yeah, yeah <laughs> because this all yeah. already went wrong sort of yeah. in the epidural stage. But they brought in a resident and they brought in a nurse and neither of them had done a blood patch before. So that was really tough. 
And also I was just super dehydrated and getting blood from me. It was like impossible. So your, your veins were like collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in there and I mean, they're even just trying to get a line in for this like hormonal therapy that they're going to do and they couldn't do it. And I feel like this whole process should have been, I think they were like, oh, it'll be like an hour. Cause we were also trying to time it out. Cause they're like, well, you've got to feed the baby. So <laughs> got to feed the baby, got to get your yeah. blood shots. It's just it's this whole thing. But I think I was down there for about three or four hours. Oh, wow. And it was them trying to get blood out of me, trying to get a vein. And then the blood patch went wrong. <laughs> well, I can imagine if you're taking blood from someone with heparin, right? They're thinning out your clotting factors. So how's that going to work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all very tricky. And like, it just, yeah, it was not going to work at that time. And they also just couldn't even get enough blood from me at, at, for that blood patch. Are all these attempts painful? Because your body has already yeah. been through the marathon of giving birth. So... Yeah, that was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me that 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 three or four hours I was yeah. in there because I was in a lot of pain. It's basically another epidural as them going into your back oh. with needles. So I had to be very still. Yeah, <laughs> I just remember like everything in my body hurt. And then I was also very, very dizzy. And I just felt like I was going to pass out. And at the end of it when they were like, well, we think we may have gotten it. <laughs> because that was the other thing. They're like, okay, can you feel it here? Is it here or here? And I'm like, I can't, I'm about to pass out. I, I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what's left or what's right at this point. But I remember at the end of that, just kind of like looking back in the room as they were wheeling me out and there was blood everywhere. Oh. It was just everywhere. And I was like, I feel like I was just butchered. I was completely butchered and I'd have no idea what happened in that room. I was trying to communicate with people too, as far as like, what are we doing and what's happening and what went wrong? And, but I know at that point I was not getting my words out very well. I took this question about blood patches to Dr. Sir. In a perfect world, how does a blood patch work and how long do you think it would take? So in a perfect world, it shouldn't take very long. What, what you do in a blood patch is that you, you draw blood from that patient and then you insert the blood back into the epidural space with the idea that the clotting factors in the blood will patch up the leak. And okay. so this is something that's done when a patient is suspected of having a low pressure headache from a CSF leak, typically after like a spinal tap. And when other conservative measures have been exhausted with really no improvement on the patient's side, then blood patch is considered. And your husband's yeah. not allowed to be in there for this? No. And he was with our daughter at the time. Yeah. And also he, I mean, he did leave for the epidural as well. And he didn't know if he could handle it. And I was like, if you can't handle it, it's cool. Just go. At that point, I did want him to stay with our daughter. And yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to come back and feed her because, yeah, who knows what's going to happen down there. And so um, I got back up to the room and I just remember the nurse saying to me, well, you took too long. So we had to bottle feed her. And I was like, I didn't take too long. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Good Lord. So she was very disappointed that Audrey was not breastfed at that point, but it was what it was. That's another hobby horse I have about the pressure to breastfeed when other things are going on, right? Right. <laughs> We're doing our best, lady. 
I was like, I'm trying. I have no idea what's happening. I'm apparently donating all my blood out my back. So (laughs) I don't have time to. Yeah. That's nuts. And kind of a bummer because you're also emotionally fragile after all that, right? You are. Yeah. You've just given birth and you do have hormones swirling everywhere and like, Mm -hmm. be nice. I haven't slept. I haven't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been just freaked out as far as what's going on. And I remember like they had Audrey at that point and I kind of went to lay down and I had a feeling that nothing had worked. The anesthesiologist had come in and they said, well, let's see how that took, you know, let's give it, you know, a few hours, see how you feel. Hopefully, you you know, you'll feel better soon. I texted my best friend and I was like, dude, I just want you to let, let you know, like things did not go well. And I just, I love you. And I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here. So it was like, it was pretty, like, it was pretty dark at that point. That's really intense. Now, did they tell you like, there's a risk that, that you'll die from this or like, why do you feel this way? I think it was just everything that went down in that room, like them trying so hard. I, I knew they didn't get enough blood. I knew that it probably didn't work. I felt like I hadn't held up my end because when we were doing the blood patch, they were very much like, okay, we need you to communicate with us and tell us, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? And I was like, I just, guys, I don't know. I don't know where you should put the needle. <laughs> I don't know. And so I, I just- I don't know if I could do that today on yeah. coffee, right? <laughs> right. Not even, not even counting all the things that you went through. Like, it's just not that easy. It's not. So I just felt like I had failed at that point and I didn't feel well. And I just was like, this is not, this is not good. Just so you know. <laughs> Yeah. But then I went to sleep for like a minute and I woke up and I was able to stand up and like walk around and everyone was like really happy. Like I could see like the OB was just like, everyone looked so relieved. They're like, she's walking. It's okay. Looks like everything's maybe going the way we want it to go. I did feel like pretty decent overnight. And so I was like, okay, well maybe Maybe I'm all right. So less dizzy. Less dizzy, was walking around, was talking fine. Like everything yeah. seemed okay. So they let me go home the next morning. Oh. So they said, yep, we think you're good. Go home. And it was crazy because it was like as soon as I got home, as soon as I walked in the door, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> something's wrong. And I just, again, like the dizziness came back. I couldn't focus. I couldn't see. And I was very, very weak. And I just immediately just had to go to bed and couldn't move. The anesthesiologists, they wanted me to call like every couple hours to sort of update them on my condition. So that was kind of what the next, I think the next 24 hours were, where I was calling them and I was like, I can't get out of bed. Like I can't move. I don't know what's going on. My neck was so stiff. Like just, I could, I couldn't turn my head. Is this ringing a bell? Cause the, the senior anesthesiologist had said, do you have a stiff neck? I know. Right. And I kept telling them that I was like, I have a stiff neck. What does that mean? Cause I yeah. remember he said yeah. something about it. 
So the anesthesiology team keeps asking Lauren about neck stiffness after the dural puncture. What are they looking for? What does that mean? So that's associated with infections of the meninges. Again, the, the, okay. the infection of the dura, for example, or the membrane that covers the brain and spinal cord. And there can be stiffness in something like meningitis. And one guy I remember that I kept calling that night, he was the guy manning the phones, I guess. He was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you just gave birth and you gave birth pretty quick. No, and sir. Gotta be, you probably just pulled a muscle. So he's like, that's normal. It's very normal. And I was like, well, I'm really weak. I can't make it to the bathroom. Like husband was having to get me in, you know, to the bathroom, which is like four feet out of our bedroom. And he was like, well, you just gave birth. You lost a lot of blood. I don't know. Like just lay down. And I started having these insane, like very intense headaches. And I kept calling them back. And I was like, my head is bursting. I don't know what to do. I'm seeing lights, like things are not going well. And they're like, okay, well, you need caffeine. So we're going to get you some caffeine, uh, like some pills, just drink soda, drink anything, coffee, just get your, your caffeine levels up. So that was like the start of the caffeine rush, which I think lasted for a long time. And I was just high on caffeine. This seems very bad because you haven't slept. You've mm -mm. been through this ruinous thing. Now mm -hmm. they're saying chug Mountain Dew. This feels wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> so yeah, I was on caffeine, still could barely move. My head was, was not right. My mom, who thankfully at one point was a neuro nurse. Oh, wow. She was ER for most of her career, but she also did neuro as well. She was just like, this isn't right. She's like, you got to stop calling this these anesthesiologists. Like, we need to call just other doctors. And I literally was just calling random doctors at Northwestern, trying to get my doctor, my OB, just anyone I could and just sort of get them on the phone and explain to them, like, what was going on. So I think it was my primary care physician who was just like, okay, because this was like an info dump for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> had no idea what was going on. And she was like, I want you to go to the pain center at Northwestern because maybe, like maybe something went wrong with this and we just got to get you in there right away. And that was a whole situation of trying to get me scheduled to go into there. And you can't just show up, right? You can't just show up. They have yeah. appointments for days. And yeah, I remember initially, like we called and they were like, well, we can get you in, you know, in like three weeks. And they're like, no, she needs someone right now, <laughs> right yeah, now. Yeah. So they were like, okay, can you get here in like 20 minutes? And we're like, no, but we'll try. <laughs> yeah. So I showed up and I probably got there 45 minutes later because of traffic. Yeah. This poor girl who was working the front desk. I think this was like her first day. And I show up, I can barely move. And I'm like, I have this appointment. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like you missed it. And I think we can reschedule for like a few weeks and I'm sorry. And she just like, didn't know what to do. And again, I'm very much a person that doesn't like, I don't want to make a scene, but I just couldn't, like, I couldn't stop crying. And I don't know why at that point I just didn't walk across the street and go to the ER, but I was just like, I'm in so much pain. I don't think anyone's taking it seriously. I don't know what to do. And I was sobbing. And this woman who was in the waiting room goes, I don't know what that woman has been through, 
but she can have my appointment because this is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. That's nice. It was nice. So she was like, she can have my appointment right now. Just get her to see a doctor right now. And the girl at the desk ran and grabbed a doctor and they brought me in and we did some x-rays. We of course established that the blood patch did not work. And so they said, well, we're going to do another blood patch this time under x-ray. So they did that. And they're like, you should feel like in an hour after we do this blood patch, like you should feel relief. And I was like, okay. So they do the blood patch. It takes 15 minutes, really, really quick. Yeah. 15 minutes tops. They put me in a room, lay me down. And I felt like pretty decent when I was laying down uh, at that point. And then they were like, okay, we'll give it an hour and then we'll lift you up and we'll see how you feel. Gave it an hour. I get up and I'm just like, no, (laughs) still, still bad. Still my neck hurts. I can't, something's wrong. And they were just like, well, go home. No. Take some pills, lay down. And again, this one doctor said, you know, you've just given birth. It's a lot, probably just stressed. I was at that point crying. I couldn't really communicate very well. He was like, you're just, I mean, it basically was like, you're just hysterical. You're a hysterical woman who's probably hurt her neck in childbirth. And I, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Like we did the blood patch. It's great. You're going to be fine. Just give it some time. So much is happening to Lauren here. Just to kind of get a reality check, I shared this experience of the pain center with Dr. Sir. Dr. Sir, why would they send Lauren home even though she's still in pain after the blood patch? It sounds like they were really thinking that this was a low pressure headache and the blood patch would be the fix. And as long as the puncture site heals, CSF regenerates and recycles. And so the pressure should come back to normal relatively quickly and that should alleviate the symptoms. So it's concerning that she continues to have the symptoms despite the the standard treatment. So I go home and again, in terrible, terrible pain. And I just start this round of phone calling again, (laughs) just calling people, something's wrong. And I get on the phone with my OB's nurse and I'm just explaining everything that happened. And she was like, this is not right. Like none of this is right. And she's like, you need to go to the ER right now. Before I had talked to her actually, what was something that was really crazy, there was another doctor I was talking to who had accessed the, the records from the pain center. He was like, let me see you know, what the notes are. And in the notes, the doctor who basically told me to just go home and lay down had said, well, you know what? Her brain should be scanned for clots. And wow. that was not communicated to anyone. <laughs> that was not communicated to my primary care physician. It was not communicated to me. It was not communicated to my OB. Wait, I don't understand how it made it in the notes, but not to anyone's notice. No. Well, why didn't he order a brain scan if that's what he... Unclear. That's a big question <laughs> that I have. Big question. And I actually even called up the pain center. And I mean, I at this point was just like, just nuts. I just losing my mind. And I said, this is what this anesthesiologist told me. This is in the notes. Like, was anyone going to tell me? Were you going to call me? And they were like, oh yeah, we were, you know, he went, he went out, he left, he went to lunch. He hasn't come back yet, but yeah, there's an order here for you to go to the ER. Oh my God. (laughs) Which we were telepathically sending you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just, it just was not communicated. So I was like, okay. 
well, I'm going to the ER. And I was like, please send that order to the ER, FYI. Yeah. And they were like, okay, we'll send it right now. We're going to send it to you and blah, blah, blah. Because then I get to the ER and they're like, we don't have any an order here. <laughs> but thankfully I had everything on my phone and they yeah. were like, okay. And that was, they had me wait for like five minutes in the ER. And then a nurse came over, the nurse that was assigned to me. And she was about eight months pregnant. <laughs> And at that point, I could barely move. I was just crying. I just handed her my phone. I was like, just read anything on here. I don't, I don't know what to say. And I just remember like she started to cry. She was like, she couldn't hold it together. And I was like, well, this is bad. <laughs> I don't know what, what happened here, but this is all bad. She brought me back. You know, they were taking my blood pressure and doing all that stuff. And she just was like disturbed as sort of my husband was kind of telling her what went down. And then they took me into another room and a doctor came in and we kind of went over everything. But at that point, I was in so much pain. I was just gripping the hospital bed and I was just, my jaw was just like grinding. I couldn't talk. And my husband was doing all the talking for me. And the doctor was very straightforward. He's like, oh yeah, she's had a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> what? He was like, yeah, this is a stroke patient right here. No one knew that? I knew. Like, he knew it immediately. It was, like, two minutes in. Good Lord. Yeah. And he was, like, all the signs were there. He was, like, oh, yeah, the weakness. And she's, like, weak on her left side. And, yeah, the blinding headaches where she's seeing lights and all of the things that you described. Yeah, she's had a stroke. Dr. Sir, can you tell us a little bit about what happens during a stroke and why women are at higher risk for stroke during pregnancy and after delivery? So a stroke is essentially a sudden acute neurological deficit. One type of stroke is a, a clot in the venous system of the brain. So ischemic stroke is typically thought of a clot in the arterial system or the arteries of the brain. And then there's the hemorrhagic types of stroke, which is rupture of the arteries typically. And then there can be clotting within the veins of the brain that can also contribute to, to stroke. The, the risk of that is higher. So in pregnant women, the risk of stroke is actually three times greater than in non-pregnant women of the same age. The risk is essentially in the peripartum period and in the postpartum period, which is, which is up to six weeks after, after the delivery. So she kind of was in that very high yeah. risk period of, of developing a stroke in the uh, peripartum and postpartum period. Because we have so much more blood volume or because of the estrogen, there's a lot of clotting factors running around or why are we at higher risk? So what it's, it's all related to the kind of physiological changes that happen during the delivery. And so right after the delivery, essentially the body is going into kind of clotting mode because all of the blood vessels and all of the vasculature that fed the fetus is no longer necessary. And to prevent essentially postpartum hemorrhage or, or bleeding out from those vessels, they all have to kind of clot off. And that's why the uterus also contracts a lot immediately after the, the delivery to try and then close off the vasculature to the uterus, which is no longer necessary once the fetus has, has been delivered. So you're essentially in this prothrombotic state where clotting factors are elevated. And, and so it's, that's why it's a, a high risk period. Part of me was almost relieved in a sense because I was like, someone believes that something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That, it I've, feels like that nurse was the first person to have a human reaction to everything you've been going through, right? Yes, absolutely. 
I think everyone else was very much like, oh, she's a problem. She keeps calling. Like, we just need to shuffle her off. And yeah, so he was like, yeah, we need to get her uh, CAT scan. I think he's like, yeah, let's get her in there and see what's going on. And so this was kind of almost funny. I mean, my husband and I laugh about it now, but I was like, I don't know if I can go in there because I was in so much pain and I just needed something to like hold on to. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, we're going to give you something to calm you down. They were just like, is there any chance you could be pregnant? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) Good news. Yeah. And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, I I just had a baby like two days ago. Yeah. And they're like, well, you you know, sometimes people. Oh my God. The, I was like, they do not. They do not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I promise you, there is absolutely no way I'm pregnant. I said it maybe 15 times. And they're like, all right, okay. So then they give me the Dilaudid and we do the scan. And then after the scan, the next thing I remember is I was in the ICU and I was hooked up to many machines and there were lots of residents and we were talking about the stroke and how it had affected the right side. My right side was very weak and my speech at that point was not good. And my neck was very stiff and I couldn't, I couldn't really move. Bad scene. And then I think it was like Audrey's first appointment with a pediatrician. I can't remember what time this was. I feel like it was like maybe two in the morning or something. And John was like, I've got to go take her to the pediatrician at 8 a.m. And I was like, okay. I was like, just go. Like, you should go. (laughs) He was a mess. So I was in the ICU for quite a while, which is a weird thing. I remember maybe it was the next day or the day after, you know, they have an occupational therapist come in and they're like, okay, today we're going to work on putting on socks (laughs) and maybe taking a walk up and down the hall what do you think about that? And you're like, wow, I I have a little baby at home who I've like never seen. And how am I going to change a diaper? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how to put on my socks. So yeah. So that was a thing. And I I was just trying to push through when I was, was in there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to put on my socks. I'm going to like run around in the hallways. I'm going to show them that I'm like, that I'm fine. But I was very much not fine. (laughs) So then finally I get to a step down ICU. And just so many tests, so many things are going on. So many people are talking around me, including all of the residents, all the neuro, like it's, but no one's talking to me. Yeah. Essentially, which I think I would say the first five days in the hospital, that was pretty much the case. And I was in a lot of pain and I didn't know what the source of the pain was. And again, I kept talking to them like, oh, my, it really hurts at the epidural site. Like it's, I'm really, like really sore. And they're like, yeah, you're going to be sore. And I'm like, well, I still can't move my neck. Like what's going on with my neck? And they're like, oh, you know, the patch is sealed. Like we're getting your blood under control. Like let's, we'll see. It just like no answers. And I remember I hadn't slept for days. It was again, middle of the night. And this nurse comes in and I just was like, listen, before you do anything, like we need to have a talk. I was like, I just need, I need someone on my side and I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if this is normal. Do you know if it's normal? 
but I'm in so much pain and I just feel like I just, I'm, I just I feel like I'm going to die tonight. Like, this is really bad. And she was like, okay. She's like, first of all, let's get a scan because they wanted to make sure I didn't have a, a bleed in my brain. Scan comes out like normal, you know, there's clots in your brain, but nothing's bleeding. So blah, blah, blah. You're fine. She comes back and she's like, what, you know, do you feel better? What do you think? What, you know, this is what happened. They said, you know, it's, it's the same. And I'm like, something is wrong. Like, I can't, I can't move. And she was like, well, has anyone given you like gabapentin? And I'm like, no, like, I'm just on like Tylenol. Oh my <laughs> like, God. And she was like, okay. And so she like grabs a doctor and she's having this conversation with him. And I hear them get into an argument in the hallway where she's like, just try it. Like, it's not going to hurt her. Why can't we just try it? <laughs> she's in a lot of pain. She can't move. She can barely talk to you. She, this is insane. And he's like, fine, whatever. And he approves it. And I felt like the gabapentin had saved my life. Like, as soon as I started it, it I felt like I was just a stone, just like a statue before I was so everything was so tight and I couldn't move anything and then as I was taking gabapentin as I was sort of like ramped up on it I could suddenly like move again and I could talk and suddenly I was like myself and I told that to one of the doctors and he was like oh you know what now that we think about it <laughs> so where the blood clots were in my brain it was sort of blocking the blood flow from le like just, I guess, exiting the yeah. brain. And that pressure was building up and it was putting pressure on my nerves. So that's why I couldn't, couldn't move my neck. So it was all that pressure. And he was like, yeah. He's like, I guess that would be painful. Oh my God. Now that we think of it. Yeah. What were we doing the last five days? <laughs> what were we doing? <laughs> What were we doing? And I know I've read all of my my notes, which I requested from Northwestern, and I've yep. read hundreds of pages of them. And it's marked in the chart, like, the difference. They're like, oh, one day she was just, just gripping, just, like, could not get up, gripping the side of the hospital bed, would not move, and would barely communicate. And literally the next day was standing up and was talking to us, like... <laughs> Okay, what's going on, guys? <laughs> what's happening? So, yeah, it's like in the charts. And it was just wild. And then the hospital experience was very different after the gabapentin. I was like, I'm taking control of this situation. Yeah. I was quite motivated. I had a lot of adrenaline, in a sense. Like, especially after the, that gabapentin. <laughs> I yeah. think it was like, yeah. after that change, I was just like, oh, I'm taking control of this whole situation and I'm going to be fine. And you guys need to all tell me like how I need to get there. Like, yeah. What are the things that I need to do? Do I need to lift weights? Do I need to get on the treadmill every day for 30 minutes? Like I was just like, we're, we're going to do this because yeah. I couldn't figure out how my life was going to be with my daughter, especially in those first six months or even the first three months when I had my new, those clots were still in my brain. And what if a clot moved or what if my brain started bleeding? Yeah. I think that was, was really scary to me. I was really scared to be alone with my daughter for a really long time. Yeah, that sounds super scary. And they just resolve on their own? Is that how we let that They do. Happen? They do. As you're, yeah, and you're on the blood thinner until they resolve. 
and mine did resolve. This all went down in June. I believe I had my MRI. It was like late September and they were like, okay, great. They're gone. And I remember seeing my neurologist after that. And she was like, you're really lucky. That all just went away. It's like they were never there. And I was like, okay. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. Because ultimately it was the epidural that was the problem, right? And it- Yeah. Ultimately what we found out was the epidural, of course, like set off that chain of events. So it was botched. And then the blood patch, that one that was like the three hour blood yeah. patch. Yeah. That was the one that sent those clots actually up into my brain. Wow. So instead of actually sealing that leak, yeah. that's where they went. And then the second blood patch is the one that finally patched it and sealed it. But at that point, stroke time. <laughs> so Good Lord. So it's like all yeah. these compounding things, right? And it's a it's a wild situation, right? Like none of this is typical, but it was pretty crazy. I think also what was really hard for like a lot of the anesthesiologists who were also residents that I was like calling and dealing with was that the spinal headache symptoms are, I mean, they're kind of similar to a stroke. And so they kept going to the spinal headache and saying like, well, I don't know, the headache, yeah, and she's weak, she just gave birth. So they just kept deferring to that. It never occurred to them that there had been a stroke. I mean, I guess it had occurred to the guy at the pain center, but he didn't say anything. But when I went to the ER and that doctor was just like, oh yeah, she's had a stroke. Like, guys, come on. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because you passed through many hands before you got there. Yeah. They didn't realize that was the thing. Let's now reflect on the things that we have learned from this unbelievably traumatic experience. (laughs) Yeah. If you could go back, what would you tell younger you? And what do you take from this experience? Well, I think it's being more of an advocate for myself in those situations which is hard. It's really hard with a doctor because they're the expert, right? They went to school for so long. They've been doing this forever. They've seen so many people. But I do think, especially in this case, a lot of people were very disconnected from me as a person. Yep. And they didn't see me as a person. They saw me as a problem. And I remember even maybe let's say I was about seven months pregnant, somewhere around there. I saw that... Serena Williams' Vogue story about her childbirth experience. In case you missed it, Serena Williams gave birth in 2018. The day after the birth, she became short of breath, and she worried that it was a clotting issue, given that she'd had a serious blood clot in her lungs in 2011 that required emergency care. The shortness of breath she felt after the birth very much reminded her of that earlier experience. When she tried to get help for it, she was dismissed numerous times by the medical people around her. Ultimately, they found that she did, in fact, have a blood clot in her lungs. And I remember taking that into my doctor's office because I was terrified when I read that story. And I was like, oh, God, what if this happens to me? I've had this blood clotting issue. Like, this could easily happen to me. And I took it in there. And I was like, how do we make this not happen? Like, have you read this? And I will say that I was easily dismissed. was like, oh, that won't happen to you. This is not the same, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of brushed it off. How can it not be the same? I mean, I I definitely yeah. had a fear of God reaction to that in that mm-hmm. Serena Williams is beloved, famous, wealthy, you know, right. powerful. If she can't make it happen, how is anyone else going to make it happen? I, I know. 
I know. And I just was like, how do we, like, I just, I was like, how do we learn from this? I need yeah. to learn from this. Yeah. And I remember everyone being like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just, just, you know, <laughs> just trust us is basically what was the message. And I think in all of that, and especially in those two days when I was just calling people and I, I wanted to believe those anesthesiologists who were saying like, just lay down, like, just lay down you know, you're going to feel great after a yeah. few hours of sleep, like yep. take an ibuprofen, like you'll be fine. And I really wanted to believe that, but I knew something was wrong. And I think I should have been in that moment, a stronger advocate for myself. I should have just gone immediately to the ER and been like, something is wrong. I really should have listened to that inner voice because it was right. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So that has been what I've really taken into my healthcare practice today is yeah. I do treat it almost like a business. I don't feel like I should have to, but when I do go to the doctor, I mean, I bring a notebook, yep. I document a lot of things yep. and I run it like a meeting. Yeah. And I talk a lot <laughs> Yeah, and I ask people to clarify things and repeat things. Some doctors don't care for it, but some are absolutely fine with it, especially once they have seen my medical history. Yeah. Yeah. They actually are okay. And I feel like I've had a much different experience now. And I've even been really upfront with some doctors where I'd say like, listen, I, it feels like you're sort of brushing me off right now. And I have not had a great past. So can we go over this again? Or do you think maybe I would be a better fit with someone else? And some people are, they, they really, you know, change after you are that direct. They really start to see this more as a partnership. So that's been really beneficial. I think. I, I'm going to steal that language. That, that's <laughs> a, that is a really good way to say it and to get their attention apparently. Right. That's yes. A... Yeah. I mean, I get it too, especially now. I mean, with COVID, everyone's stressed out. Everyone's been yeah. working too much. Uh, again, family, they're all nurses, my, some of my best friends. It's its a high pressure situation. So I have a lot of respect for them, but also I'm just like, I'm going to need you to give me your time and your full time and attention right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad that you're back. Thank you have recovered you, yeah. everything. That's awesome mm -hmm. um, and inspiring. And what is your three-year-old into now? Oh, gosh. DC superhero girls. Loves That's that. <laughs> yes. Loves the cape. Just runs around back and forth. Bubbles. Wow. Bubbles are a hit. <laughs> Who That's knew? cute. Yeah. She's very cute. She's very, very active. She's always just, yeah, she's on time. She's early. She's ready to go. She's up every day at seven o'clock. Just like, what are we doing? Where are we going? That's a very, that does sound like the baby who comes in 10 hours instead of 23. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And um, I think if I'm right, when we talked in the very beginning of this, you're a writer. So you're sharing stories all the time, right? I am indeed. You know, what's insane is that when I was in the hospital, I had had this like book proposal that was just on my desktop at home. And when I got home, I was like, I'm going to send this off. And I wrote a very cocky proposal letter and was like, you should publish this book because it's great. And then the publisher responded like seven hours later and they said, okay, wow. we will. So yeah, that, you know, near death adrenaline that was going through me. That's awesome. Time. But yeah, I have a podcast called Bonnets at Dawn, which is about 
18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers. And then my book is called Why She Wrote, and it is about 18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers. So That's super cool. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. So thanks again to Dr. Sir for sharing her medical insights. And thanks to Lauren for sharing what is a really important story. Likely we'll never know the full picture of what happened. How did so many people fail to show a requisite amount of interest in her experience? How did so many lack real curiosity about her case? It's hard to get your mind around. It's possible that when so many people brushed past her complaints about pain and told her to just go and lie down, it's a reflection of, among other things, a cultural view of women after birth. And in Lauren's case, maybe also how the medical establishment views not just women, but especially black women. There's a fair amount of literature documenting the fact that black patients' pain is often managed differently than the pain for white patients. It feels wildly unfair that one of the takeaways from Lauren's experience is that after you birth the baby and your body is wrung out, you're responsible not only for this new human being's survival, but also your own advocacy. Please share this story with friends, because even though it feels like too much to ask, it's where we are today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another story of overcoming.